0: Is the Next Trip podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other avgeeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 176, operating on April 10th, 2023. This is Drew, an airline ops manager, and I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot. We are here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Doug, you've uh, you're on your break now from the triple seven for months. Are you having withdrawal symptoms yet? <laughs>
1: yeah, don't remind me. Oh, yeah. I keep keep looking on FlightAware and Flight Radar twenty four, and I see our birds flying mm-hmm. overhead, and I've got that longing, like I wish I was on it. Mm-hmm. I, I also wish that I could say that I'm enjoying my time studying for the KC forty six, but I don't start class until next week. I'm just trying to get out the door right now. I'm trying to pack for months. I'm trying to. I'll process the base. I'm trying to get all the the admin ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. I haven't even had a free minute to look at numbers or memory items or anything for the 46 yet. So I couldn't tell you a single thing about that airplane other than it's kind of a 767.
0: We used to be a KC-10 slash 777 podcast, and now we're going to be a KC-46 podcast, at least for the next few months. So I will help in getting us ramped up by getting us excited about the KC-46. <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I know. Not,
1: I'm not saying I'm not excited about it. I, I no. am excited about it. I I barely have had a free moment to even sleep in the last few days, let alone study and think about the KC-46. Uh, what, once I get to my hotel room and I'm unpacked and settled in, then it's game on. It's game but on. Un- until then, it's just trying to get out the door. I, I told you, Yeah, I think you're asking how the juggling was going the other day, because I was saying Mm -hmm. that I'm was i just juggling a million things right now. Uh, And you said, hopefully the juggling is done. I made a joke. I said, no, the juggling won't be done until I'm sitting in the escape lounge at Sacramento Airport on Tuesday morning. That's when the juggling will be done.
0: The escape lounge, there could be no better name for it. But for the list, I mean, we're talking like everyone knows what a KC-46 is. So let's just mention the KC-46 is uh, the military version of a 767, which is a refueler. But Doug, it's not really a 760. It's it has a does it have a 767 400 flight deck? What is the flight deck? Like, I'm sure it's not like the 767s that we are flying that are like 25 to 30 years old.
1: Yeah, the literature that I was reading from Boeing, because I I was curious now that people are going to start asking. And I've heard lots of conflicting, not thoughts, but like conflicting statements on what this airplane actually is. So I I looked it up from Boeing's literature that they handed out when they were trying to sell it to the Air Force. And it's a 767-200 body with a strengthened wing. So it's a different wing than the 200 had. Mm -hmm. It has four additional fuel tanks in it. For the offload capability, so it carries a lot more fuel than the seven sixty seven two hundred. It's not a three hundred wing, I don't uh-huh. think, but it is strengthened. So I think they actually made a new wing for I'm the eight hundred and forty six
0: winglets. I don't know. No, it doesn't. It doesn't.
1: Right? Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. No, and it, it also doesn't have thrust reversers, which is interesting.
0: That's crazy. I wonder the Air Force
1: be, the yeah. Air Force did the cost benefit analysis and they said that replacing the brakes more often is still over the life frame of the airplane going yeah. to be less expensive than whatever maintenance costs are associated with having to to fix thrust reversers and I guess the amount of stress the thrust reverse puts on the engines. yeah the Air Force said it's it's better just to use more brakes and burn through brakes quicker interestingly
0: will it have cargo carrying capacity like the the kc10 it does uh uh-huh. not not as,
1: much. It, not it's as a, much because it's a smaller from a square footage footprint it's a a smaller airplane so it won't carry as much both in fuel or in cargo it'll also carry passengers just like the kc10 but to answer your flight deck question because i've from people who even fly it i I've heard some say it's a 787 like flight deck. I've heard others say no, it's a 737 Max flight deck. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, these are coming from people who have never flown either of those airplanes, <laughs> and and they're both compare and and multiple people are comparing right. it. So that's why I had to look it up with what Boeing said. And in Boeing's terms, it's a 787 style flight deck. Really? It's not. It, it doesn't have the same like rounded overhead that yeah. space age overhead panel uh-huh. like the 78 does, but the screens. And the displays, and I guess the like the the box, the FMS, the flight management system, mm-hmm. is akin to a seven eight.
0: Wow, how interesting! So it's a mishmash of different technologies as they they um, they happen and they install. Yeah. them.
1: And that's that's why I won't get a type rating for it because the FAA is not typing it because it is a, mism- a mis a mismatch or a mishmash of different airplanes
0: so you'll get a rating for it just for that aircraft you won't get a 767 type rating is that what you're saying no
1: i won't even i won't even get a a a rating for that airplane interesting the air force the air force will consider me qualified on it but in the eyes of the faa Mm -hmm. it's like the c17 the c5 there are no type types for those
0: all right, so did you have a DC-10 type rating when you flew the i 10 I
1: did, yeah, because that was an off-the-shelf product. Huh. The, there were a few slight changes from the civilian DC-10, just the, the extra fuel tank and the boom. But aside from that, it was like I could, I, before, like, let's say FedEx, before they put the MD-11 flight deck in the DC-10, and mm-hmm. called it the MD-10, yeah. you could have picked me up from my KC-10 and plot me right into a fedex airplane mm-hmm. it would be identical I, i'd be okay. able to to fly it
0: so you could be non-revving on a 767 and if there was some emergency and they needed help and you're already flying the kc-46 you would be like no i don't know anything about this aircraft
1: yeah exactly <laughs> that's
0: crazy all right doug we have a lot of stuff to cover do you have anything else about your uh, your hiatus
1: no i'm sure we'll, we'll be talking about it a lot i'm well I will try not talk about it too much to bore the listeners, but I'm, I'm sure we'll be discussing it a lot in the coming weeks and months.
0: One quick thing. So from the escape lounge, you were flying southwest to Wichita. Am I right?
1: To Denver. Through, yes, to Wichita, through Denver. Through Denver. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So that'll be, I mean, you haven't flown them in a while, so we can uh, get your review next week. My week has been boring. Uh, I have dodged the bad weather days. And I'm going to come back to weather in just a moment. But I, I went out. I invited my buddy, the two AV geeks, to go drinking after work. And I'm like, let's just invite everyone. So Tuesday is going to be our open enrollment. You don't have to be an AvGeek. There's no application <laughs> <Open enrollment>. required. <laughs> There's no approvals. So it was fun. We invited the flight attendant supervisors, move team, ramp. There were about 10 people. It was very good energy because these are people from diverse – Backgrounds, the the flight attendant supervisors. One of them was an Embry Riddle graduate, and she um, learned to fly a plane. And she decided she wanted to work in ops, but she started off in, in as being a an in flight. She became a flight attendant, and now she's an in flight supervisor. And her goal is to be an NOC, Such a diverse background. And then the other one, who was a, a flight attendant, also was a flight attendant for Delta. Went to the hotel industry and came back to the airlines to work for our airline. The, as far as the the ramp management that was there, it's I, I don't even have time to discuss like the wealth of uh, experience they've had. So it was a nice group. And you know when we go back to work, you, go ahead. You
1: you said that it's on Tuesdays. Tuesdays, yeah. Okay, my, my next DC layover, I'll try and schedule. Well, or it's going to be a few to. months, but I'll try and schedule it for a Tuesday. Oh,
0: yeah, you've got to be a guest on that because that is, is so much fun. And we go Tuesdays because it's not that busy and we can cordon off the whole area. And we always sit in the same area in the corner. Now, when we show up on Tuesdays, we'll be like, Oh no! This area is reserved. You know, we can just help. <laughs> and the bar would probably be fine with it because we're like VIPs there because they see us every Tuesday. But but anyway, as far as drama at work with the thunderstorms, we had a thunderstorm yesterday, and with these two AV geeks that were at uh, the bar on Tuesday, they're at work, so we have a text chain going. So I'm i feel like I'm at work. Andy, who was on the show, he's working at our airline now. So between them in stereo, I'm getting a full update of what's going on at the airport with the thunderstorms and the long taxi times. And it's fun, but I'm like, I might as well not have taken the day off. (laughs) It's the same thing, but you can't, it's hard not to get drawn in. And it's uh, once again, you know, it's good energy and these departments are talking. So now when they're back at work and they need help from another department, they know someone at that department. And When you know someone, you bend over backwards to help them out, whether it's finding a bag or helping a customer. And who wins, right? Who wins in the end? It's our customers because we're working as a team to take care of uh, the people that fly our airline. That's it. I mean, that's that. I don't have anything else from this one.
1: No, this is a good segment, actually, Drew, because you you have written here, teamwork makes the dream work. And you were just talking about the teamwork at at your office and how it makes everything better. Well, our team, which on the podcast we consider all of our listeners we wouldn't get this done without your support and we asked for input on our aviation word of the week and we said (laughs) that we didn't get any feedback and immediately i think it was monday immediately we got this email so of course we're going to keep it going we got feedback from a listener in canada saying that he loves the topic and we also got our word of the week from another listener kyle in seattle
0: yeah, see, I knew if we kept harping on it and kept pushing it on our listeners, eventually they would relent, and they would just know that we're going to talk about it anyway, so might as well just get used to it. Kyle, thanks for our word of the week, which is pack, P-A-C-K. And, you know, in this in this podcast, I know about this stuff, and I think you know about this stuff too, but we delve into it, and we learn things that we did not know about stuff that we say all the time. Like, we don't know all the background about it. So, pack. It's P-A-C-K. You know, normally we'll say air conditioning pack, which is kind of redundant because air conditioning is in it. It stands for pressurization air conditioning kits. So these are, it's also referred to as the pneumatic air conditioning kit, also P-A-C-K. What is the pack? So normally it's located in the belly of the plane, just under the wings, maybe a little bit forward of the wings. It consists of an ACM, which is an air cycle machine, a bleed air, a bleed heat source, bleed air heat source, mixing valves. There's normally two in order to have redundancy and a backup pack. The 747 had three. So what the pack does is it cools bleed air from the engines or the APU when the engines are off. This then supplies the air conditioning, the conditioned air to the flight deck and the passenger cabin. So that is the air conditioning pack, or you could just say packs.
1: I didn't know that that's what it stood for. I I didn't know that it was actually an acronym, pressurization air conditioning kit. Maybe that's in my book somewhere, but part of the reason why I, I think I didn't realize that and. I always wondered why they were called packs, yeah. but never really thought it to look noise, into it.
0: Because it's, uh, it's a
1: yeah, you have it typed out here in all caps, which is what most acronyms are typed as yeah. or or written as. You have it as P A C K, all capital letters. At least in the KC10, I don't remember in the the seven three or the triple, but at least in our KC10 books, packs were all lowercase, lowercase when when talking about the air conditioning pack. So because it was lowercase, I, I didn't think. That it, that it was an acronym yeah. and it stood for anything. I, I just thought, oh, well, they decided we have to name this something. We'll call it a PAC. A pack. Because that, yeah, I, I didn't realize that it was an acronym.
0: <laughs> that's interesting, right? Because it is kind of a package because it's all encased in a box or, you know. So- yeah, that that's what I thought it was. I, I had no clue. Yeah, or maybe I was trying to look. Our official source should always be the FAA or the DOT or something, right? The FAA doesn't define PAC. They talk about air conditioning units, but they do not mention, and they have a whole list of abbreviations. PAC is not one of them. So I can only surmise that this is something the airlines made up because we have so much experience with them, and that's where PAC comes from. It doesn't come from the FAA. <laughs> but when you I don't know, I don't know what to talk. Well, you. yeah, but when you're, I mean, when you're a passenger on a plane and you hear the and you feel the air conditioning flow through the airplane and the thing starts winding up those are the those are the packs that are working mm-hmm. yeah and we had this uh, i think i talked about it leaving madrid they said they had a um problem with one of the air conditioning packs wouldn't come on and it was stale it was uh there's no airflow in the cabin so after 2 hours they decided and i i told my buddies ian and charlie this i wish they would just reset this plane Two hours into it, they did. They did a hard boot of the 787, (laughs) shut it down. All the lights went off, and the captain made an announcement, which was really good. A lot of the times, the the crews aren't comfortable with this because the emergency exit lights go off. Everything goes off. So for a moment, you don't have that power for that in case you have to evacuate. I think that is the concern. But it only took a minute, started back up, and then you could hear the packs, and you could feel the airflow. And that was the packs turning on.
1: This is another good segue. Yeah, your, your transitions <laughs> that you typed out, they're on point today. Well, first of all, I mean, Let's...
0: Kyle, thanks for, thanks for the word. And if any of you out there have any aviation words that you hear when you're flying or hear the ramp talking about, just let us know and we will have that as our airline word.
1: Yeah, I think barking dog could maybe be the next <laughs> the next one. And Anyone who's listening probably knows what I'm talking about right now. But moving on, Drew, your transitions today are on point because the next thing thing you have typed out is let's move on because this episode is packed with content and you put it in all uppercase. That's good. (laughs) And we don't want to run out of time. Well, Drew, we talked about the tenuous political and trade relations that we have with China in past episodes, but we do have good news on that front as China continues to work with the West on projects, albeit less with Boeing recently. Airbus announced plans Thursday for a second final assembly line in China. This will add another assembly line to the Airbus factory in Tianjin, which they opened in 2008. The announcement came during a trade visit by French President Emmanuel Macron. 600 aircraft have rolled out of Tianjin's hangars so far. Airbus has four assembly sites around the world. The company forecasts that China's air traffic will grow 5.3% annually, over the next 20 years, significantly faster than the world average of 3.6%. Let me think about this. Um, 5.3% annually over the next 20 years, that's compounding, which means that 20 years from now, it's going to be more than 100% because if it's 5.3% annually, that's uh, in a way that it's it's almost like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? In, uh, like inflation, it's like compounding in
0: interest. We're in, it's
1: Com- compound interest. Yeah, compounding it's like interest. A so, uh, tw- yeah, snowball. So, twenty years from now, and Aaron could probably do the math and tell us what this is. But just spitballing, I'm guessing that that's almost like a hundred fifty percent increase over no, no, you know, no, twenty no, years. Okay, Aaron, I can.
0: Aaron, the wheels are turning, and we're gonna get. A <laughs> yeah.
1: We'll get an, We'll get an email from him at eight o'clock Monday morning. Uh, the the final bullet here. Moving on. Boeing has been shut out of the market with no orders from a Chinese airline since 2017, according to CNN. This year, Boeing delivered only one aircraft, the 777F, to China Air Cargo. Now, one thing that I, I did see, uh, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, there was an article about President Xi. Mm-hmm. And one of the photo on in this article was these two Chinese service members kind of blurred out because of the focus of the picture. And it was an air china (laughs) 787-8 and it talked about carrying president xi no because that that's what they use that's what they use so even even yeah even though we have this this not this very rocky relationship with china right now the us and and even the west the presidential airplane is still a 7 747-8 it is a boeing american-built airplane that is carrying the president of china who's trying to project this global power And it's on a seven forty seven. Yeah, to me, to me, that that was that was just very fascinating. Yeah,
0: I wanted to discuss this article because it is concerning what's happening with China. But I think big picture wise, and looking into the future, I think the U.S. and the West and China are are permanently intertwined. Because you know, I think we both agree that we love the flow of world trade because it helps us. We work for a, a multicultural airline or multi. Well, I shouldn't say that we're not a multinational airline. We work for a company that flies all over the world, so world trade improving helps us directly. But I feel like China, you know, we, we're going to have our disagreements, but in the end, there's too much that connect us, and it's mainly um, company and people-wise. And here's mm-hmm. something else: so even though there's this a little bit of a standoff, China is making agreements with the West. It's Airbus here, and you just talked about them, their flagship aircraft of their government being a 747-8. So this is good news, so it bodes well. Doug, let's head back to the U.S. for our next story. NASA has just named its four astronauts for its first crewed moon mission in 50 years. The selected astronauts for Artemis II, a critical test flight around the moon, are Reed Wiseman, who will be the commander, Victor Glover, the pilot, Christina Hammock Koch. She is the mission specialist. All three of them work for NASA. And then we have Jeremy Hansen. He's a mission specialist and he is from the Canadian Space Agency. Artemis 2 follows Artemis 1, which went beyond the moon last year with no crew. Artemis 2 will be the first crewed mission to the moon since 1972. It's planned for 2024 or 2025 using the Orion spacecraft. Artemis 2 will be a 10-day mission with two orbits of the Earth before going 4,600 miles beyond the far side of the Moon. NASA states that with the Artemis missions, we will continue to explore the lunar surface and collaborate with commercial and international partners to establish the first long-term presence on the Moon. So we could have a station on the Moon. This is awesome. NASA will then use what we learn on and around the Moon to take the next giant leap, sending the first astronauts to Mars. How cool is that?
1: That's awesome. I, I was reading that this is going to be the farthest that humans have flown away from the Earth since, uh, was Apollo, Apollo 16, I think was the last Apollo? Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe 17. I, I don't remember I don't which number, but wh- whatever whatever the, the last Apollo mission was, this is going to be the, the farthest the humans have been from Earth in 50
0: years. Yeah. You know, and you which know, is crazy. I know it's a huge cost and, but we have to, we have to continue our space exploration. I, every time I go to the Udvar museum and I see the discovery shuttle, I'm like, we used to have this that used to go to space all the time. And now we've just kind of given up on it. So it's nice to see us um, getting back to that. Okay. Doug, we normally save our listener comments for our VIP lounge section at the end, but we got a complaint from this joker enough. Other- <laughs> this joker in upstate New York. So we'll do this now. <laughs> Our buddy and podcast public enemy. Number one, because of all the complaints said, he waited till the end of last week's episode to hear his question with no luck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't really feel bad for him.
0: <laughs> it made him listen through the whole episode. That was good. It did. It did.
1: And he also texted you and he said that he really hoped that you would call him a joker on the podcast. So I'm glad that you were able to squeeze that in. Our apologies, Francis, but we went way long last week and we didn't want to rush through your question, which is actually a really good one, which is right up our alley or taxiway. Another great transition mm-hmm. there, Drew. This is what Francis asked. How does an airline pick where to have its hubs? I'm from Atlanta. Obviously, they have Delta. United is Dulles. Chicago, Southwest has Midway. How are those airports picked? Drew, this could be an hour. I'm actually really excited to talk about (laughs) this.
0: All right, so we're going to try and discuss this in 15 minutes. (laughs) Great question, Francis. The answer isn't that easy. Doug, let's look at the three airlines Francis mentioned, Delta, United, and Southwest, as well as American. Airlines generally have their main hub where they started, and then as they grow, they look for opportunities to expand to different cities. Sometimes airlines gain hubs by merging or buying other airlines. Airlines also have their comfort zones where they have multiple hubs not far from each other. Doug, let's start with each carrier's histories and hometowns with Delta first. Yeah, in 1925, Huff
1: Daland Dusters, the predecessor of Delta, was founded in Macon, Georgia before moving to Monroe, Louisiana. In 1928, the airline was bought and renamed Delta Air Service for the Mississippi Delta region that it served. In 1929, Delta operated its first passenger flight from Dallas to Jackson, Mississippi, with stops in Shreveport and Monroe, Louisiana. The service expanded around the south after that. In 1930, they expanded to Atlanta and Fort Worth. In 1941, they moved their headquarters from Monroe to Atlanta.
0: Can you believe Delta started as a crop dusting operation in Macon, Georgia? I go through our scripts sometimes at lunch with Robbie, and he's like half paying attention. And then I asked him, <laughs> like, can you believe that Delta started as a crop duster in Georgia? And he said, oh, uh, okay, yeah, where? So, Macon, Georgia. So that's where Robbie's mom was born. That's so cool. then he w- was more... Interested- then he's interested. Yeah. <laughs> so Robbie's mom, was, uh, Robbie's mom <laughs> was born in Macon, Georgia, and she was... Miss Georgia, 1954, if you can believe. Her whole thing was to get out of Macon, though, and she did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this makes sense, right? Delta makes sense. It is very strongly focused in the South. And uh, there you have it. Boom, there's your Delta hub in Atlanta, which today, Doug, remains their largest hub and the world's busiest airport. Let's look at the next one, United. United. So in 1929, what would become United was founded as United Aircraft Transport Corporation. It was a conglomerate of both aircraft manufacturing and air transport. So in 1930, UATC acquired four mail carriers, Boeing Air Transport, and yes, that is the Boeing that makes the airplanes, Boeing Air Transport, Pacific Air Transport, varney airlines and national air transport boeing air transport flew a contract air mail service between san francisco and chicago pacific air transport flew mail along the u.s west coast and was bought by boeing air transport in 1928 varney airlines was based in boise idaho and flew mail to the pacific northwest to utah and to nevada national air transport flew mail from chicago around the midwest and to newark in 1931 UATC changed to United Airlines and was established in Chicago as a holding company.
1: There you go. There's your Chicago. There's your... That's the hometown for United. Yeah, yeah. and it had a California connection. It makes total though. sense
0: because I, I understood the Chicago part. I understood that mm-hmm. United was a Midwest carrier. But was, where where is this California connection? Because it's so strong in California and there you have it.
1: Let's move on to Southwest now. In 1971, Southwest began service from Dallas Love Field. Its plane was laid out in a triangle drawn in a San Antonio hotel bar on a cocktail napkin, showing a route map linking Texas cities of Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. Can I, I think I've mentioned that. just a second. Yeah, if
0: we ever start an airline, this is how the planning would go. On a yeah, exactly. A hotel. <laughs> and I, I have been to that
1: bar, and they really? actually, yeah, it's it's a really cool bar in a in a really nice hotel in San Antonio. And they they draw that connection in. The, I, I took a picture when I was there. They have a picture of the napkin. In fact, if, uh-huh. if I remember correctly, I think some of the napkins are printed like that with, with the little the triangle root. Yeah, it's really pretty neat. In 1976, the airline received rights to expand to Austin, Corpus Christi, El Paso, Lubbock, Midland, and eventually all over Texas. So in their first several years, because of uh, regulation, uh-huh. the airlines were still regulated then. All they served were Texas cities. Yeah. It was a Texas-only, intra-Texas-only airline. In 1978, deregulation of the airlines happened and Southwest expanded in the South and the West to Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Albuquerque, et cetera. And if I remember correctly, I, we studied this in one of my grad school classes. I think Southwest initially was only allowed to operate two cities and states that touched Texas. Mm, okay. They were not. It, they were not allowed to go to like Phoenix or to right. I think that's I know, because Mobile, Alabama, or something because it it didn't touch Texas, right? And
0: also, um, D A L Dallas Love Field had some perimeter rule like D C A where you could go a certain distance.
1: Yeah, Laguardia has that too. I think.
0: Yeah. So Southwest is interesting because they're with these four. They're the newest, right? They're considered the new kid on the block. But 1971. That's not very new anymore. They were able to get the Texas Supreme Court to let them charge whatever they want only within Texas. This was before deregulation. So they kind of had deregulation before deregulation was allowed around the country where you could charge whatever you want or as little as you want. And what we can do another episode on this whole thing. But before the FAA, it was the CAB, the Civil Aeronautics Board. And they told you where you could fly and how much you could charge. So this was during that time. That makes sense. So Southwest is in the Southwest, (laughs) right? Oklahoma City, Albuquerque, Tulsa. So that that makes sense. Our last one, Doug, is American. 1926, American's history begins with aviator Charles Lindbergh, who was the chief pilot of Robertson Aircraft Corporation, which flew mail in a uh, DH-4 biplane from St. Louis to Chicago. 1936, American becomes the first airline to fly the DC-3 in commercial service between New York and Chicago. 1939, Americans started transcontinental service from New York to Los Angeles. And we would laugh, if we were doing a podcast in the 1930s, this is this would be New York to Los Angeles, but it was actually Newark to Glendale. So it's kind of like, <laughs> oh yeah, you fly from San Francisco to, to New York. It's like, you mean from Burlingame to Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of did that. Their initial flights, Transcon, took 20 hours and 19 minutes. They were flown in DC-2s and DC-3s, made eight intermediate stops, and listen to these cities because it does kind of look like American. Washington, D.C., Nashville, Memphis, Dallas, El Paso, Tucson, Phoenix, and then Los Angeles. The company headquarters was in Manhattan, New York. In 1957, American opens the first world's first special training facility for flight attendants originally known as stewardesses i remember when that was the common term in fort worth texas Uh, and it was named the american Airlines stewardess college so now we have we're seeing more of a texas Texas connection focus right Mm -hmm. but it was new york the company was based in new york and their first flights were from the midwest and their other signature was uh transcon not really texas but we're seeing a draw to texas Then in 1979, American Airlines relocated its corporate headquarters to Texas and established its first hub-and-spoke flights in 1981 from Dallas-Fort Worth. That airport opened in 1974. They were really looking to bring a major carrier down there. And American moved because, um, from what I'm reading, the costs were very high in Manhattan, having a headquarters there. So they moved to Texas for lower taxes, and that's where they were able to start the first hub-and-spoke airline in 1981 at Dallas-Fort Worth.
1: That all makes sense now, Drew. Delta flies to the Mississippi Delta area, Southwest to the Southwest, United to Chicago and California, and American is based in Texas. So then why does Delta have a hub in Minneapolis? Why does Southwest have a hub in Oakland? Why does United have a hub in Houston, American in Charlotte and Miami? The the list goes on.
0: So that this doesn't become a three-hour episode, which you and I could totally drag this on for three hours, Let's go airline by airline, and let's talk about the hubs that we have. A question: Why would United, based in Chicago, have a hub in Houston? Uh, you want to let's start with Delta. Let's start with hubs that don't really make sense, and why they have a hub there.
1: Delta, you've got Detroit. Well, you've got the coast. You've got L.A. and New York. Everyone has some sort of operation in L.A. and New York. So we can, for all the right. airlines, we can say L.A. New York. We know they have a hub move those out of the discussion. Let's let's go more internally into the, the central part of the US. Delta has Detroit, Minneapolis, Salt Lake. The, those are the main ones. They had Cincinnati. Why do they have those? Mm-hmm. Because of Northwest. <laughs> right. Well, well, and uh, Salt Lake is because of Western. It, it's through a merger. Yeah. Let me save my analysis uh-huh. for why even those airlines had their hubs in those <laughs> cities until we're, until we're done talking about this okay so
0: you're saying delta has the uh hubs that don't fit their south foundation if you will because of mergers i mean that that's a major cause not always the cause of additional hubs but that seems to be the major one all right then we have united same thing so united is based in chicago the hubs in san francisco because that's also where they're from the west and the midwest but they have a hub in houston now and they have a hub in newark and that is due to the merger with the continental so that makes sense Denver doesn't quite make sense. I know that uh, Varney Airlines used to fly around in that area, so it's not too much of a, um, a stretch, and Denver is considered the west. And United is very Western-focused. So that kind of makes sense. But that's uh, one that's off a little bit. Tell you what, I I said I would say my analysis. Let's talk about it right now because the listeners,
1: some of them are probably pulling their hair out. Like, why why are you not talking about the obvious? Right now, we are looking at this just from a geographical standpoint based on where the airlines grew up, if you will, or or became airlines. An airline is a money-making venture. And airlines go to places where they think they can make the most money or do it the most efficiently. Ultimately, hubs are decided. And and even through mergers, there have been D hubs, United D hubbed Cleveland, Mm -hmm. US Air D hubbed Pittsburgh, Delta D hub, Cincinnati, American D hub, Nashville, and St. Louis, The, the list goes on. So airlines, airlines set up their operations and they set up their hubs where they feel like they can be the most efficient in moving people through those places and, and where it makes the most sense to to have those particular locations, but they also do it where there are big business centers. Denver is is a, a very big business center, so it makes sense to have an airline that has a, a big hub there. Southwest has a hub there, if you can call it a hub. I know Southwest is not really a, a hub carrier, but I'm connecting on Southwest right. through Denver. Yeah, exactly. Frontier has, Frontier has a hub there. You look at Chicago, there are multiple airlines with hubs. But a lot of cities, like Delta is incredibly strong in Salt Lake City. American is incredibly strong in Charlotte. United, incredibly strong in San Francisco or in Newark. Actually, they're, they're stronger in Newark than San Francisco. There's less competition. So for, for that sake of the argument, airlines, uh, an airline is not going to try and come into to Newark and set up a hub because United is so strong. An airline is not going to try and come into Charlotte and set up a hub because American is so strong. Delta in Atlanta, the, the list goes on. So you can see that over the years since deregulation, airlines have kind of entrenched themselves into a point where 30 years after deregulation, the dust was still trying to settle. I feel like now the dust has settled pretty substantially from deregulation and everyone is kind of where they want to be.
0: You know, it's easy to understand how they gain hubs with a merger. So American gained Charlotte, Philadelphia, DCA as a focus city after the merger with U.S. Airways. Let's think of some hubs that grew not of a merger, but just as you said, airlines are looking for opportunities. And I was thinking about this and doing some research this morning. I thought that American's hub in Miami was part of somehow part of Eastern leaving. No, that was there. They were looking for an opportunity. They wanted a hub in Miami because it makes sense. It's such a crossroads and it's, you know, it's some people call it the capital of Latin America, even though it's in the US. So (laughs) they wanted that hub. It wasn't from a merger, right? Can you think of any other hubs where it was an opportunity? It was a business opportunity. It wasn't just grandfathered in or they didn't, you know, get it along with a merger.
1: Yeah. D- Delta in Boston and Seattle, Delta has squeezed their way into the, we, we can use Seattle as the example. Delta and Alaska used to be really close partners. And then Alaska kind of rebuffed Delta when they were trying to renegotiate their partnership contract. Mm-hmm. And Delta Delta didn't like some of the givebacks that, or that some of the things that Alaska was trying to take back from the partnership and, and shut down some of the reciprocal benefits and things. And the relationship really soured. So Delta said, "Okay, we'll tell you what. Uh, if you don't want to connect, take our, some of our passengers through Seattle and on onward to Alaska and and the Northwest, then we will set up our own hub there." And they squeezed their way in, and now Seattle is is a very big hub yeah. for Delta. It's it's doing really well for the airline. Yeah, Boston is kind of the same way. Delta squeezed their way into
0: Boston. Mm-hmm same with delta in seattle so delta tried to have a west coast asian hub if you will in portland sometimes it doesn't work and you know this was like 20 30 years ago maybe portland didn't have the size yet but it's now. like
1: american with san jose american, american with Day. nashville exactly. They they had hubs in both those places and shut those down and on the other
0: side i was thinking united at washington dulles they don't really have a foundation in washington dulles but this is an airline focused in the Midwest and the West looking for an anchor in the East. And Dulles was an opportunity because they wanted to fly to Europe. They wanted a East coast hub and boom, there's a hub in, uh, Washington Dulles for United.
1: We should play a game sometime when, when we have more than just us on, mm-hmm. like if, if Greg Tyler, and Nate join us next time, we play a game where we start an airline and it's a draft where all five of us are CEOs of an airline and we can pick maybe four hubs and we will go one pick at a time, mm-hmm. each person. And once a city is selected, yeah. then it's out. Then oh. then no one else can select that. And at the end, we, we look at our airline with, that, I don't know, four hub cities. Uh-huh. And we talk about like why why we
0: chose that city. Mm-hmm. That, that would be kind of a, a fun thing to do. <laughs> well, why don't we just, okay, let's do it now. <laughs> this is totally not scripted let's put out to our listeners and to you and me and to uh, our buddies come back next week. We'll take your uh, input. If you were starting a new airline, what would your, you want to say four hubs or three hubs in the U.S.? I think,
1: I think four. Okay. So let's do four.
0: All right. Yeah. So listeners and uh, our friends, you have, you're starting a new airline. You can choose four hubs. What do you choose? And just let us know. And we will, we will judge you <laughs> on the next episode. <laughs> But then don't tell well, me and you I, and I can I, choose too. And we'll come back and we can judge each other. The question will probably come up. Uh, is it an international
1: airline? Is it a domestic airline? I'll say it doesn't matter. You, you can choose. Choose your hubs based on wh- whatever you feel like your airline is going to be. Well, let's say it's
0: a U.S.-based airline. You can pick your hubs.
1: No, I know that. But yeah. but I'm saying like, it, it, are they an airline that flies internationally? Mm-hmm. So are you trying yeah. to have a hub on a coast or something to fly to Europe or to Asia? That's up to you. That's up to you. you, you you have to, you get four hubs. You have to choose wisely, choose wisely based on whatever your, your mission is. We might get something like you always complain about why was Northwest, why, why was Minneapolis the gateway to Asia, Asia that for Northwest? Sense.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. Let's discuss, let's quickly discuss Southwest before we move on Southwest started in Texas. There a Southwest focused airline. They had a hub in Phoenix, but then, They have, I shouldn't say hub because they're not a hub and spoke carrier, but they kind of are. It's kind of in between a point to point and a hub and spoke carrier. They started in Oakland to get that California traffic. They also have a um, huge operation in Baltimore. New York, is it White Plains? I don't know if they have any big operation in the New York area or they just fly a lot to all the airports.
1: No, I know they went into Newark and then they left. They're totally out of Newark. I think LaGuardia. Possibly. Yeah. New, New York has been pretty weak for Southwest. I, I look at Southwest and this is going to sound bad. I, I don't mean it this way, but almost like a locust where they, they come in and they, no, no. I mean, th- think about it. Like they, they basically, or not maybe not a locust. This is going to sound even worse, but like a, a cockroach mm-hmm. because they say that like cockroaches can survive nuclear winter, that mm-hmm. it's the, the only animal that can survive something. Look at the cities where Southwest is, is, has a really big presence Yeah, and what what void did that fill. Like I, I think of St. Louis. Southwest is really big in St. Louis and they, they really grew there after American de-hubbed St. Louis. Southwest found a, a way to go in there and do it. Southwest is really big in Nashville. They moved into Nashville after American de-hubbed Nashville. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see where uh, Midway. Well, I guess Midway was totally different and ATA wasn't all that big at Midway, but still you can see where like airlines moving out of major airlines, moving out of these cities, Cleveland, uh, uh, Cincinnati, Delta and United left both those cities and Southwest has moved in and they have a really big presence there.
0: Yeah. And then Oakland, I don't, it seems like the other major carriers have a minimal operation at Oakland. There used to be a lot of service to Oakland from all the airlines And now with Southwest Mm -hmm. being so big, I don't see, like, I don't think our airline even flies there. So we don't, they were able to like take over that market. Is that bad for competition? If you look at it from a metropolitan region, you did have, you had United in San Francisco, you have Southwest in Oakland, and you had American in San Jose, which is much less now, but that's good competition. Even though they control the majority of the traffic at each airport. That whole metro area has a lot of competition. The D.C. area where I live is very blessed with all kinds of. So, you at in this area, just you know, within a range of about thirty to forty miles, you have American at D.C.A., Southwest in Baltimore, and United at Dulles. That is good competition. You have a variety of carriers to fly from, fly with, and even though each of those respective carriers kind of dominate that the respective airports you don't like the fare on Southwest, you can fly United out of Dulles or American out of DCA. So it, it is a lot of choice. All right. So uh, next week, come back to us with what hubs you would choose for your airline. And uh, if you want to add a name of your airline, please do that. Too, that'll be fun. <laughs> Our friends at Non-Rev Lounge Podcast are hosting a meetup in Dallas next week on April 14th and 15th, Friday and Saturday. If you're in the Dallas area, meet the non-rev lounge crew that's tyler Lara, and mo at founders plaza between 4 30 p.m and 7 30 p.m for more information just go to their instagram page at non-rev lounge podcast that's all together non-rev lounge podcast Doug, you may make a cameo appearance how does that does it look good for you getting there yeah as of right now it looks like i should have
1: saturday and sunday off i, I probably won't make it for the founders plaza thing on friday evening unfortunately because i'll be in class until later but yeah, trying to figure out if I'm going to drive down or if I'm going to jump seat down. Still have some logistics because I I need to figure out what what it's what my ability to leave on the weekends from training is going to be like. But how, if I can get far the how of a drive is it? Five hours.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, I would fly.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I I, I don't want to get stuck down there and maybe not get home on Sunday. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go. The the problem is Wichita, while it is uh, like 750,000 population metropolitan area, they don't have a lot of air service and there aren't a lot of flights later in the evening on a Friday. So if I don't get out of class in time, I may end up just having to drive anyways mm-hmm. because uh-huh. there there really isn't much of an option.
0: If you flew there, would you have to connect through someplace? I can't even. I'm trying to imagine how Wichita to Dallas. No, I, can, I fly. could fly
1: an American. i, oh, I could fly God. an American. Uh, I could possibly fly in Southwest to Love, but that would be a little bit more logistically difficult to try and get from Love over to DFW. Go or on. I could fly okay. us. I I could possibly go through Denver or even maybe Chicago. Uh, there there is no direct line so it's going back to the hubs a lot of a lot of times hubs are set up because they're good for connections because there's direct lines you might be flying from omaha to salt lake and it makes sense to connect in denver because it's basically a straight line whereas going from wichita to anywhere in the south on our airline because there is not really a a good hub in that direction that would get me to dallas without having to go out of my way anyways i I digress (laughs) Before we wrap up, we received really good feedback from a new listener, Mark, from Canada, which we mentioned, Mark, a little bit earlier in the show. He wrote, Hi, guys. I only found your podcast a few months ago, but have become easily and quickly hooked. I'm especially loving the recent edition of the Word of the Week segment. Look forward to every new episode. On the subject of engine talk, more, please, (laughs) exclamation mark. They may look the same to many of us, but under the cowling sits a marvel of engineering, and without them, our beloved aircraft aren't going anywhere. Furthermore, when the big airlines make their purchases, the engines and their maintenance contracts are worth billions of dollars as well. Yeah. That is an excellent point. So it's well worth noting which engines they choose when they make the big announcements. We definitely can start doing that, Mark, mm-hmm. when, when we talk about the new Riyadh International Airlines and the United 7-8 order and, and whatever order is Air India, whatever we talk about, we can talk about the engines too.
0: Yeah, I'm getting more into engines, especially since uh, Greg is going to be deep in it, and he's going to be making a lot of these engines.
1: Yeah, and don't worry, Tyler. This doesn't mean that we're going to be talking about engineering all the time, but I digress. Mark continues. He says, I'm a layman in this department, but my ears do indeed perk up when you talk engines. Perhaps when an aviation engine bit comes up, you can call it an engine. <laughs> that <is pretty> good <laughs> segment, as long as Disney and Marvel don't mind. And and that was A-V hyphen E-N-G hyphen E-R. So it's an avgeek engine-er segment, but pronounced like Avenger. Keep it going, gents. Every episode is a treat. Thank you, Mark.
0: Yeah, you know, Doug, that's probably a segment we should do of how the engine order is separate from the airplane order. So when Singapore Airlines orders the well, A350 is a bad example because there's only one choice. But when um, Singapore Airlines orders the 787-10, they also have a choice of engines that they could choose. They could choose the GENX or they could choose, I believe it's the Rolls-Royce Trent 800. I'm not sure. But 8,000. I think it's the 8,000. I think it's the Because they have the Trent 1000. And I think the A330 has the Trent 800. Y- uh, yeah, you might be right. Yeah. Not sure. and you know what? I think it's a Trent 900 because the 800 is the A330. Uh, okay, we, we we better stop because yeah,
1: um, we're digging ourselves into a hole here. We're digging we'll ourselves into a hole.
0: But the 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 point of my the point of this is we are not that familiar with engines as we are with the aircraft themselves. And now we have a listener who's not an av geek. Well, no, he seems like he's an av geek. He wants to know to know more about engines. And again, don't worry, Steve. Mileage runner, Steve, if we talk about this again, it's going to be 10 minutes. Just, you know, go make some coffee and come back and we'll be <laughs> beyond engines. But no, it's, it's really interesting. But for those of you listening, get to know the CFM56, the Pratt & Whitney 4000, the Trent 800, the GENX, because we'll be talking about those a lot as uh, we get into this year.
1: You said a, a choice of engines, and he you said, oh, wait, the A350. They don't have a choice because there's only one. That reminds me of the yeah. your your story about the flight attendant who offered someone a, cho- a choice of a meal and it was just chicken. And they're like, well, that's not really a choice. So well, you can choose not to eat. Same thing with the A350. Like, right. oh, I don't want those engines. <laughs> okay, well, then you can choose not to order this airplane. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: <clears throat> I don't think Airbus is going to be like the flight attendant who said you could choose not to eat. Airbugs are going to be like, well, this is the reason why you should choose it. I think they're going to be much nicer because <laughs> uh, that would make... Uh, who is it? Ali Akbar from Qatar be like, are you seriously being smart with me here? Oh, that's Did you American? say Ali, Ali Akbar? It's yeah, Al, isn't Baker. That? Akbar Al, yeah. Al Baker. Akbar Al Baker. Al Baker, yeah. You know, he's like... And I think um, next episode, we should come back to that because I think they're playing nice-nice because nice they... Had this uh, lawsuits go on both kerfuffle Kerfuffle with the peeling paint, but I'm hearing they might reinstate that order. So we'll see this drama in that. Doug, have a great time in uh, Dallas. If you get there next show, standby listeners. We'll, we'll, find out how doug got to from wichita to dallas which should be interesting to all of our listeners this podcast is your show so go on our website nexttripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback you can also follow us on twitter or instagram at next trip podcast please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel
1: thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation we'll see you next week and in the meantime stay aviation tough this
0: has been the next trip podcast